You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning again. My name's Stan, so good to be one of the pastors here. And so, um, you know, if you've been around, you know Anthem Church, you know, isn't like every other church because most churches on Mother's Day, moms, you're going to get a flower and you're going to get a sweet message. And then Father's Day, you know, a lot of other churches, they're just going to open up the Bible and rip on dads and tell them what they need to do better. And so, um, but in this way, we are going to be like every other church. So that's what we're doing today. We're going... (laughs) We're coming after you, dads, and so get ready. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to be with y'all. And so um, really, just the context, and just to be transparent, uh, transparent with you, when it comes to things that I get extremely passionate about, uh, the gospel, helping people know Jesus, that's the top priority, which if it wasn't, you should be worried. Um, uh, but next to that is really this, this topic of um, biblical masculinity. And part of it just comes from my story. And so Father's Day um, is just, it's, it's a little bit bittersweet for me. It was 15 years ago on Father's Day that I actually lost my father. Um, it, it was one of those things where he went out on our family farm and was mowing um, uh, at the ponds because every year we'd go up to the ponds. That's my dad's favorite spot. We'd go to our pond. We had a cabin up there. Um, and again, it's just on our land um, in Iowa. And so he would go up there and he was going to mow because we we're going to go out there later and uh, do some fishing and grill out and just enjoy Father's Day. And we, we did a good job of celebrating that. And, uh, and so when he was out there, he got on a steep embankment in the tractor, which was just an open cab tractor rolled over on him. And, um, and so 15 years ago at the age of 17 is how old I was, um, just that day, in that image, all that is just marred. And, and uh, I say bittersweet because the 17 years that God gave me with my father, I'm telling you, now as a dad, I'm growing in my appreciation for the man that my dad was. And I'm so thankful for the 17 years I had, um, but there is just an, an urgency. Um, Psalm, uh, what is it, 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The, the reality, the brevity of life, um, that we, <laughs> it's not a given. And so with this urgency, uh, I want to speak to men today, saying like, today's the day to, to, to be what God would call us, to have great relationship with your children, to have great relationship with your wife, and, and not only married men, but but young single guys too, I'm saying, man, I don't want something tragic like that have to be the thing that would, would catapult you to, to be a man, you know, today. And so um, I want scripture to do that. And so I'm going to pray for us and uh, pray for my heart, and then uh, we're going to work through this together. And so, uh, God, we do um, I just pray that you would calm me and uh, that you would give me a level of clarity uh, in teaching your word. And Lord, that you would help us understand the urgency, um, and, and given the brevity of life, that, that tomorrow is not promised. And so, Lord, would you help us make the most of today? Would you help us make the most of your word? And would it drive us um, to be men? And I pray for the, the gals in here that they would be encouraged um, by what it is that you would have uh, for, for men in our role. And so just pray these things in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, 
on the screen, you'll see First uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Uh, Paul would tell the Corinthian church this. He would say, uh, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And so what's this act like men? So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. So if you're opening your Bibles, Genesis 1. So what's it mean to act like men? And Paul is telling the Corinthian church this, and he's telling them to act like men. Uh, John Eldridge wrote a book, Wild at Heart, and he said, um, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, a beauty to rescue. Every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, a, a, a beauty to rescue. This, there's something in men that would make us distinct. And so Paul's tapping in and he's saying, you need to act like men. And John in his book is saying, there's something inside of men that make them uniquely men. And so as you're opening up to Genesis 1, we're gonna go back to the first man and what it is that God commanded him, Adam, and see what that is. And so I'm gonna tell a little bit of story of my dad. My dad really kind of captured what I think is the essence of manhood. So he was a farm kid. He grew up, he was one of 12 kids, begins to frame it in. Um, He ended up taking over the family farm when his dad passed away. My dad was 17 years old at that point, took over the family farm. He was 6'3", 230, solid guy, and he could roll a quarter through his wedding ring. I mean, those are like sausage-like fingers, right? Um, and so my dad, this big, strong guy, I actually brought a picture. This is him. This is my youngest sister. This would have been at our ponds, actually. Uh, I see the little shed where we stored our fishing poles, and that's my littlest sister, Janelle, getting her birthday spankings. Uh, this would have been about uh, 11 months before dad ended up passing away. But just, you see him, the blue jeans, you would have seen his like lace-up boots that he always wore. Uh, he had a ball cap on. And then uh, the, the button-up that used to have sleeves, and then you just cut them off because it's hot. Uh, that was like my dad's go to work. And so my dad, um, again, he took care of us. I had three sisters, myself. Um, he, uh, by default, was a farmer, took over the family farm. We ended up raising cattle. And uh, the whole crisis in the 80s, when that didn't pay, dad found work um, doing some side jobs. He worked construction. We worked on cars, everything from from body work to, to kind of repairing them. Uh, and one of my favorite side jobs he did was a, a dynamite blaster. He'd go to rock quarries and just like blow up huge piles of rock for them to crush into gravel. Well, sometimes he'd bring that work home. And so I remember like as a kid, like going fishing with dynamite. <laughs> like I remember like making a pond like with dynamite, like blowing stuff up. And so um, that was some, that was fun. Um, to give you, when I say my dad, like just this, this man's man, you get the, the picture of this guy in, in his cutoff flannel. Like when I say man's man, when he was a, a kid, him and his brothers, they took a bike and put an engine on it and built like a motorcycle as kids. Like the ingenuity. Um, my dad, um, this will give you a good story. So every night for over like the past year, I've been telling my, my daughters Grandpa Tony stories because I want them to know Grandpa Tony, although he's not here, I want them to know. And every night we've told a new story for over a year. I mean, this is the kind of like life he lived. So everything from fishing with, with dynamite to like uh, building motorcycles, one of my favorites, this, 
again, capturing the kind of man that I got to call dad. Uh, I remember watching us move some cows out this gate, and this calf missed the gate and ran out in this wide open pasture and didn't know where to go. And we're talking like a 400-pound calf. My dad is on a four-wheeler, and he's running the four-wheeler wide open across the field, and simultaneously, he's taking off his belt. He then proceeds to take the belt and lasso the calf and like pull it into the four-wheeler, holding the calf with one hand and driving the four-wheeler to like drive the calf. Right, like the kind of man that can manufacture a lasso on the fly. So just this ingenuity. I mean, it just this is the man I got to call my father. And, and, and this is the kind of upbringing that I had, getting to work along with him. And I realized as I continue to talk to these guys how rare that is to get to be around someone who acts like a man, someone that we bring you up like that. In fact, working in college ministry, it hurt to, to get to talk to young guys. I'm like, man, tell me about growing up. What'd you do? And they're like, well, played a lot of video games. Uh, I did sports, like these club sports. We went around to that. That was pretty crazy. I'm like, you don't know crazy. Uh, you know, and just what does it look like to see a generation being raised up, you know, that, again, that kind of gathered their participation trophies and just kind of made it through life without making some stories. And, and I think the ramifications of that we're going to see in our culture, again, even something as simple as gender identity is now being lost. Like, well, what even makes a man anymore? Whatever makes a woman? It's all questionable. Guys, I'm telling you that, that it's not just culturally but even our church has become a fairly effeminate place, meaning it favors women. Little ladies love to go to church. Dads would rather stay at home and watch football because, but it, because the church has become a place where you can argue about the paint color and what carpet goes in, and, and it's no longer a place for, for masculinity. You just Shh, be quiet. Everybody kind of sit in rows. And I'm telling you, for guys, it's, it's become a place that's harder to come to. You just look statistically uh, what churches are being just filled with gals, but, but men are becoming just indifferent. And I would say what we're going to see in Genesis calls us to something far different. The Bible calls us to be, as men, conquerors and cultivators. Those are two words we're going to come back to a lot. And if you're at the men's retreat, this is kind of an adaptation from that talk. But a conqueror and a cultivator. So let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. This is the beginning. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And later on in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man put him in the garden of Eden, and, and he told him to work it and to keep it. That's Genesis 2.15. So this is, okay, coming up from there, this is before the fall. This is before things went south for man, Genesis 3. 
And so before the fall of mankind, we see that it is a good thing for man to be working in Genesis 2.15, that he would be keeping the garden to care for it. Now, post the fall, now that work has become filled with thorns and thistles and talking to Nathan to Penny, who spends 10 hours a day working in concrete out in the sun. It's like, yeah, I don't know what that job would have looked like before the fall, but after the fall, it's kind of a pain, right? And so things have gotten harder since then. But before God, work is not bad. It, it was there in the garden before sin entered the world. And so I'm sure it looked differently, but, but man is called to work. And so it speaks of us as being cultivators, taking care of things. But you also see in, in chapter 1, verse 28, this call that, that men would be conquerors. This idea of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then the word he uses there, subdue it. If I had to give a definition or kind of a word picture for that, subduing. Think of a, a high school boy that doesn't know his own strength in a pool with junior high boys. And the high school boy, like, subduing, like, throwing them under the water, right? The junior hires. That's the word. It, it, it's this, this aggressive, like, subdue, hold under, push down. And that language is there because God knows the serpent exists. And so he's using that language saying, if Adam, if you would subdue creation, if you would hold it down. Now, that certainly doesn't happen in Genesis 3, but that's the language that he's using there. And so it speaks of our role as conquerors here and elsewhere. And so we see that men are conquerors and cultivators. So let's talk about the, the conqueror part. Because for me, this is what comes more natural. Like this act like men, what I think of, I think of conquerors. And so it's what that's tapping into is this innate desire in men to rule, to conquer, to subdue. That is in Guys, I think it is hardwired. You turn little boys out and they find some frogs and it, like pretty soon they'll have those things caught and they'll have them in a corner. They'll be telling those frogs what to do and racing them. Like it's, it's there inside. It, little boys and little girls, it, am I speaking? Everybody hear me? Like you understand they are different, right? <laughs> I've got four girls. I've got it easy. I get that. We have like little boys over them. Like are they all like this? Where they're just, they're just different. That these, they're driven. They're, there's this, this desire that God has wired us with that is just different and that comes from the garden. It's how God created us. We are equal. Men and women are equal, but we are created differently and different desires. And, and God's wired that deep down in. It's, it's why, and it's the thing that drives men to want to fly to the moon just to put a flag in it. It's why when you look at who summits Everest and who even attempts, 95% of those that summit Everest, Mount Everest, why would you want to do that? For the thrill, 95% of them, men. It's the kind of stuff that drives the guy to pursue the girl and to ask her on a date. It's this, it's there, it, it, it's what drives men to be innovative at work and to uh, get more success. It's why guys want to join the military and overwhelming numbers. There's just this desire to conquer, to, to be lords, to, to be that like aggressive pursuing. And Lord willing, it's that that could be used within the context of the church that would lead guys to be leaders, missionaries, pastors, church planners. And so it's a good thing in the right context that God would give us to be conquerors. 
And so we see that all the way back to Adam. And God takes this authority and he looks at Adam and says, I'm going to give this to you. The, the kind of technical term was viceroy. It's when somebody is appointed, you know, by the, the ultimate sovereign authority to have authority like a governor or somebody over a territory. And so Adam is this viceroy appointed by God to be the head, to be the first, to be the leader. And he's commanded to, to be a conqueror. And again, it's the thing that's going to be so necessary in men leading a family, leading a church, and bravely taking on the lostness of this world, that, that we need good, strong men. And I really do believe, by far and away, one of the, the greatest needs we have in, in the church today is guys that are going to be strong husbands, strong fathers, just strong men. I believe our culture needs that, and the church needs that. I don't know somebody that would disagree that that's being lost. And so the question as we look at this first part in Genesis is, what are we doing to cultivate this spirit in our young men? And that's a question that I'd have for, for moms and dads, for you young single college gals. And What are we doing to cultivate this kind of spirit in the young men? Are we encouraging this God-given conqueror desire? Are we suppressing it? My dad, he was one that encouraged it. I remember at a very young age, my dad giving me a BB gun, and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we never ran out of BBs. <laughs> dad giving me a four-wheeler, like, at a, an early age, you know, he's like, you can drive the four-wheeler, here's a thousand acres of farmland, do what you want. Boards, nails, tree, build something. I remember being in the shop, you know, and, and dad would be, have excess lumber or whatever. He's like, it's yours. Screw it together. Make whatever you think is. And so dad would be cultivating this kind of conqueror spirit in me. I remember at eight years old, and maybe I've told the story, at eight years old, my dad giving uh, my sister and I the four-wheeler with a little trailer attached to it, and we planted a bunch of sweet corn. And he sends us into the little town of Clutier, Iowa. It's, uh, I was trying to do, I was trying to count the houses on Google like Earth the other day. I think there's like 45 houses in the whole town. But we went door to door at, at eight years old. I don't think you could do this now, like child endangerment or something. But dad just left us and he drove us into town and here's the four-wheeler. And we went around door to door selling sweet corn. I mean, you talk about like raising up this boldness. We'd go to cattle shows and my dad would purposely not pack supplies. That way we'd have to ask complete strangers for those things. Like he would do that strategically. He would leave a hose. It's like, we've got to wash our calves. And dad would be like, well, go ask somebody and go borrow. Like trying to cultivate this, this spirit in us that would, would uh, be courageous. I remember at age 10, raising livestock, I got my first set of bucket calves. Some of y'all don't know where that is. City slickers, try and keep up here. All right, okay. <laughs> So you get these calves, and I remember going and feeding them morning and night and raising calves. What did I do with the prophets? I bought my first gun, right? Like, this is the kind of dad that I got to work with. The first vehicle my dad helped me buy was a bulldozer at the age of 13. That's no lie. Before I owned, a, like, a truck, uh, we bought a bulldozer. And so my dad was instilling this in me, and I believe, and you have to hear this, and I, and I I'm pestering Luke and I'm pestering dads that I know with young kids. 
all this leadership that I believe that the people affirm in me and see in me and, and they say, man, Stan, you're a strong leader. I'm telling you, the, the overwhelming majority of that was instilled in me by my father by the age of 17 years old when I lost him. All this strength, this, this leadership that I believe that God has given me that has now been exuded in, in, in planting churches and, and being leadership, by the age of 17, that was instilled by my father. And that's why it's getting harder as I look back and with such appreciation for the man that he was and what he began to just draw out of me. And I'm so grateful, and I'm so grateful for, that my mom let that happen as well. There were disagreements that time, but, but it's still that they would want to see this be raised up. And so I'd ask, dads, are you allowing your sons to enter in on those construction projects around the house? Are you bringing them in to work you're doing in the shop? Are you sharing in that with them? Moms, are you reprimanding your little boys for coming in dirty and with grass stains? Are you all right in celebrating some of that? Because again, what we're developing in our young men today is gonna be who they become tomorrow. And if we can't let them get a little bit dirty and let them get grass stains, because I truly believe that that's gonna translate later on to them being bold and taking risks, Lord willing, for Jesus someday. And so you can't, suppress all that and hold them down and, and want them to be quiet and, and, and tell the line and then to expect them to be on the front lines and leading some movement for God someday. Man, we all look at David and we're like, wow, David, his dad entrusted him to be a shepherd. And he said, before he killed Goliath, he said to Saul, the king, talking to a king like this, a boy, a shepherd boy, nonetheless, he said, I've killed lion and bear with both my bare hands. This Philistine will be like him. Everybody looks at Goliath and like, wow, that's impressive. He I think killing a lion and a bear with your bare hands, that seems pretty impressive. And so what are we doing to, to cultivate this spirit in, in our young men? And I'm saying it's not too late. College guys, you should be hungry in looking to the older guys. And if you don't know how to do some of these things, I'm telling you, and why? Why am I so passionate about this? Because I believe that simple things like knowing how to change your oil, that that's going to translate to your ability to, to bring somebody, to love some widower and say, can I help change your oil? Like your ability to know these things, just these things of the world, I believe allows us to become all things to all people so as to win as many as possible. And so it is, I believe it's important that, that men would be well-rounded, that they would be spiritually strong, but even just understanding. And so, and I would say to my dad's generation of guys, even if your kids are out of the house, I'm telling you, you're part of Anthem Church, and we unashamedly want to reach this next generation. And I'm telling you, as a college pastor, it's the minority of young men in college ministry that had dads that took that time to encourage them and to walk with them. And it's not only, I believe, the young men that need that, even the young gals to, to have an older couple in their life affirming them. The level of security that I see that played out is it, invaluable um, that, that that would be done. And so 
what are we doing to cultivate this? C.S. Lewis said, we castrate the gelding and bid him be fruitful. This idea that we take the very essence, the heart of a man, and we say, oh, that conqueror thing, that's, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do with it. And so we take that away from guys and we say, well, go. Church needs strong men. And I would just say as a side note, gals, we need strong women too. Proverbs 31, that gal is no slouch. And I'm thankful to be married to a Proverbs 31 woman. And so we could talk about that, right? Mother's Day kind of passed. We can talk about that at some point of what it looks like to pursue women in ministry versus just permitted. I would be the first to say, I think the church has done a poor job and we could do better at allowing women to use their gifts in the right context. But today is about the men, right? Okay, so I'm just going to focus there. So don't, don't not hear that. I, I definitely think we need to absolutely be about that. But, but I really believe that if we want to have really strong women that are still able to be submissive and, and, and support their husbands and, and be great helpmates, if we want really strong women, we need really strong men. And, and, and I want to see both, really strong women and really strong men and I think I, I'm, for the most part, just encouraged by the gals that God's given us. And, and some of you college gals are like, we need some strong men. Amen. Preach. Like, <laughs> yes. It's a reality. We do. We need more strong men being raised up. But it's not just enough for them to be conquerors. Okay? There's another part, the cultivator. He told Adam that he needed to work the garden that he needed to take care of those things. And so it's not enough to just, just conquer and to go out and, and to do that and to be kind of like this, this Lord, but, but, but how are you going to cultivate to care? What's it look like to, to be there and, and manage those things and, and those resources that God's given us? So what's it look like to work the garden? See, man was created not only to discover and conquer new worlds, but he's also called to make those worlds flourish. Okay, the end goal is, is to be faithful stewards of what God's given us to maximize for God's glory. And so think of this in a farming illustration. Again, what do you expect? Your pastor's wearing boots today, right? So we're going farming illustration. If you wanted to produce the maximum number of crops, if you wanted to, to really maximize yourself as a farmer, it would mean being a conqueror, going out, finding new lands, plowing them up, turning up the soil. But it also means cultivating what you do have, meaning you would need to plant good seed, fertilize that, weeds, harvest it. See, a good farmer is going to do both. He's going to go find new areas and, and till them up, but then he has to manage those areas as well. If he doesn't manage them, he's not going to have much of a crop to come back to. It doesn't matter if you farm a thousand acres, but you don't fertilize any of it or you don't you know, pull any of the weeds, you're not going to have a crop. And so it's, it's both conquering and cultivating if you want to maximize. And so I, I think guys are, are kind of, and, and simultaneously, if you never went out, and, let me speak to the other end, if you never went out and conquered anything new, and you're a farmer, and you just had like a little 10 by 10 area. It could be really fruitful, but you're ultimately not going to have a whole lot of crop if you don't both conquer and cultivate. So it's a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. And so it's both and. And so for you guys that heard the first part, you're like, yeah, let's go, let's go tackle something. It's like, uh-huh. And then what? The question is, are things going to be better 
for having been under your care, your ownership? Like, will it be better? And this is where it's a challenge for me because I, it's easy for me to think about the next vehicle. And currently, my truck is about 1,000 miles overdue on its current oil change, right? It's a reality. It's like, oh, it's fun to think about what's next and, and maybe, oh, this next investment property or this next, like, I want to buy a house. Young couples, it's like, uh-huh. Are you vacuuming your rental that you live in right now? Are we cultivating men? That which God has given us, are we cultivating? It's easy to think about owning your own business, but are you a good employee? It's easy to think about missions overseas, and I can't wait to do that. Are you being missional here? Young guys, they're like, man, I can't wait to be married. Great. Are you being pure right now? Are you being self-controlled right now? It's fun to think about that next thing, but are we willing to cultivate those things right now? And that's the challenge for me, because it's easy to dream about the next thing, but the call to be cultivators. And, and you look at a, a biblical example of this, you see Esau, this hairy guy, you know, and he's the hunter. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, he lost his birthright to more of a mama's boy, but the, a guy that knew Jacob that knew how to cultivate and stayed at home and, and was able to, uh, to tend the flocks. And so it's not just all about going out and conquering. You have to be willing to cultivate. Proverbs 12, 11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So what does it look like to cultivate and to teach this? And that's where I do, I'm, again, grateful for the stories of my dad, the, those calves. One, it, yeah, it was fun to go out and try and find a way to produce income, but that care of getting up and taking care of something hearing it beller in the morning and knowing that if I don't feed this, it will die, right? And so what does that look like? There was a, Todd was telling me this kind of illustration one time of a rich farmer who had a couple sons. And he, this rich farmer who had plenty of workers, plenty of machinery, had his sons out in the field slaving away in the heat. And somebody, come along one, somebody came along one time and said to the rich farmer, what are you doing having your sons out there raising your crops. He said, oh, no, you're mistaken. I'm not raising crops. I'm raising kids. That makes sense that, that there, I think, moms and dads, there's going to be projects and things you take on in developing these young men. <laughs> things that you do, you might end up owning something that you didn't think you wanted to own, some pet. But again, the, the, the goal is is developing this character. And so I want to celebrate dads that are cultivating, that are, that are pouring into their children, providing them opportunities to grow, instilling this, this confidence in the children at a, at a young age. And again, being in college ministry for nearly eight years was able to see the difference that that dad made. The cultivator dad that, that really cultivated that relationship with their children. I'm telling you the confidence in those young men and young women, even now, I, I don't know if there's any, I think as a church, we can do whatever we want in the hiring process, ask whatever questions. At least we do, all right? But one of my questions is, tell me about your relationship with your dad. And it's not the end-all, be-all, but, but it is telling. 
And I get excited when I hear a candidate say, you know what? I had a great father who loved the Lord, who loved my mother well, who provided for our family, who took time and invested in me. I'm like, oh, yes, preach, right? I get so excited because I know that that, that guy has experienced it and, and that he, in some regards, has, a, I believe, a better understanding of who God is because the earthly father that God set up, he's manifesting that. And I'm telling you, the confidence that those students have, and, and I'm, moms and dads, just because they're out of your house, if you're one of those kind of empty nesters, they're still your kids. And you can still be cultivating that with them. The Bible, when it says act like men, it means both, both conquerors and cultivators, to discover new lands and develop them. And so, Again, the First Corinthians 16, if we put that up, it says, be watchful, stand firm, act, uh, stand firm in the faith, act, act like men, be strong. But the context in which that's done is verse 14, let all you do be done in love. First Peter 3.8, we have that on the screen too, uh, or 4.8, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Being a man that, that conquers and cultivates does not exempt you from being loving. In fact, it, it requires that of you, that if you're going to be strong, act like men, say it has to be done in love. And I love that 1 Peter 4, 8, above all else, love each other deeply. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Guys, if you genuinely love your children, if you genuinely love your wife, if you genuinely love those around you, you're probably going to get it right. You're probably going to figure it out that that love would be the thing. And that love has to come from Jesus. And that's the reality that, that, that where we draw the idea of biblical, biblical masculinity comes directly from Jesus. Jesus was both a conqueror and a cultivator. You think of the conqueror side of things, that, that he was strong. He overturned tables in the temple, right? He stood up to religious hypocrites, like, for which of these works are you going to stone me? This is Jesus who, by his word, calmed a storm, who would look and cast out demons. Jesus' strength that, that even in John 18, when they come to him in the garden to bring him in, they come looking for him, and Jesus steps out from the disciples, and he says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. In John 18, we see that Jesus says, I am he. And at the words of Jesus, the mob with torches and weapons, they fall to the ground. Make no mistake, Jesus was strong. You might not get that impression from, like Luke was alluding to, these, these uh, images you, know, you see of just him holding the, the lamb and um, all well and good. But there was a strength to Jesus. And so this conquer, but also this cultivator, there was this compassion that, that he would, would be able to identify Zacchaeus up in the tree, that while walking through a crowd, he had enough wherewithal to know that, that somebody had touched him. And, and this woman who had been bleeding, there was this, this compassion that he showed to her and stopped everything. This presence, the, this patience he had with the disciples, how observant he was of others, and their needs, even the, 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 what is it, the widow dropping in the, the coin and the offering. Man, that one, she's given so much. And wherever the gospel is told, that story will be told. There's this, this cultivator spirit that Jesus had. 
this patience. And so he's the ultimate cultivator, the ultimate conqueror, and all of it is done in love. And so that man is, is, is our example of those things, but it's also the source that we can love, First John says, because he has loved us. Meaning Jesus Christ, with all that strength and all perfection, would turn and lay down his life for us. Those who are in sin, those who have fallen short. And Jesus said, man, I love you. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God made a way through Jesus. And so his love displayed as Jesus died a death on a cross, was buried in a tomb, and rose, defeating sin and death so that we could be brought back to him. Man, there's forgiveness in Jesus. And so that is where this love that we should have comes from. Jesus sets both the example and he provides the power by which to do so, given that he's given his love to us. And now we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so, man, I want to be pushed today from Scripture to see both the conqueror and the cultivator, but to have it packaged and done in love. And so what, this, what does this mean? I think there's already some examples for moms and dads and for young guys and, and, and the charge to, to guys in my dad's generation to not let up. There's examples of how we can be grooming this in our young men today. But I just want to be clear, as a church, I think it is our responsibility to continue to cultivate young men. To, to raise up the next guys who will be the next pastors, the next leaders, the next church planners, the next missionaries. Are you committed to that? Because I want to be committed to that. But th- it's going to come at a cost, right? Like anytime you want to step out and do something that, it's going to come at somewhat of a cost. It's like learning to ride a bike. Somewhat of a painful process. I don't know if you remember those days of learning to ride a bike, but you will fall down, you will get hurt. It's not because somebody sinned or somebody did something wrong necessarily, but it's a part of the process of learning it. And what I think that means for us as a church is we have to be willing to entrust guys with opportunities to teach, with opportunities like tonight at SEC to lead. So you should probably come and sit at their table and watch them perhaps even struggle through it knowing that it's a part of the process of growing men. We can't just continue to look for the finished product. Before Billy Graham preached to thousands, my guess is he fumbled a few messages in front of some junior high crowds, right? We have to be willing to create those things. In fact, Andrew, he's 19 years old, and he's going to be preaching to our college ministry, most of which are older than him. And I'm like, I don't think you can fail in that. I think it's an incredible opportunity because I, I believe Andrew's going to do a great job and bring the word, but we're also growing what I perceive to be one of the next ministry studs in our midst. And I think a few college students are going to be able to look back and be like, later on, Lord willing, when Andrew's being podcasted and he's writing his books because he's a genius, right? <laughs> Some college students are going to be like, I heard that guy preach out at Stevens Lake. Hey, was not that good. <laughs> That'll be a reality. How good can you be at that age? But, but again, guys, it, it starts somewhere. And so as a church, are you committed to that? 
As moms and dads, are you committed to raising them up? Men, do you want to be a part of that process? Do you want to engage? To my dad's generation, will you, I, will you muster the strength and, and, and put up with some of the frustration of bringing a young guy on and allowing them to help you in that project? Maybe even patiently guiding them through that project. Somebody did that with you. Will we do it with these young guys? And I would say yes. I think it's worth it. I think the church needs it. I think this is what Jesus modeled for three years, walking with the disciples. Say, so if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, I think we have to understand that there is something that God has given men clear back to Genesis through, G, through Jesus all the way into Paul, that we're going to see there's something that God has given in men where he's wired them a little bit differently, and it's a beautiful thing that we need to be cultivating as a church, and we need to be cultivating as individuals. Are you committed to that process? And I pray that you would be, because as a church and as our leadership, we are. And I believe that God will continue to, to bless that as we move forward, and we're going to get to see Guys raised up and new works started. I think everybody has a role to play in that. I'm gonna pray for us as the band comes up. Jesus, thank you that you love us, that you would come, take on our sin to redeem us, that we are, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. God, that we're no longer just enslaved to the sin of Adam of sitting under that tree and being passive, but that you have given us an ability to join with and, and to be conquerors and cultivators, motivated in love. And so, God, would we put behind us that sinful, kind of lazy, passive, delegating of responsibility? And would we be, as a church, Anthem Church, in our infancy, be known as a place for strong men and women that find their strength in the Lord, find their identity, not in what the culture says, but in the Lord and what scripture has for us. And so God, please, would that be a reality for us that we would be motivated by your word to be strong men. And so God, would that be fleshed out in our days to come and to you be the glory for that. And I thank you so much for, for the, the gals that will hold guys to these standards. The gals that won't put up with, with boyish pursuits and attitudes. That, the, the moms that are going to push their, their young little men to be men. And God, we thank you for those that are already cultivating that. And we thank you even today. We just thank you for the fathers that instilled that in us. God, we thank you for their service. I'm so thankful for the time you gave me with my dad. And pray, Lord, that, that we would um, continue to be that to the fatherless and those that have absent fathers, that, that we would look to that role and it would be given the weight that is due as is a reflection of our heavenly father. And so, God, we hold that in high regard. And so we wanna honor dads today and we wanna honor you by doing what you call us dads to do, and that's to be conquerors and cultivators. And so praise be to you. Thank you 
for that, that calling on our lives that it is a big one and a worthy one. So thank you for that, Jesus. And we just pray these things in your name.